Lives of the Eminent Grammarians, Part Two, of the Lives of the Twelve Caesars, by Gaius Suetonius Tranquillus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lenny. The Lives of the Twelve Caesars by Gaius Suetonius Tranquillus, translated by Alexander Thompson and edited by T. Forster. Lives of Eminent Grammarians, Part Two. Valerio Scato was, as some have informed us, the freedman of one Bersanus, a native of Gaul. He himself tells us in his little work called Indignatio that he was born free and being left an orphan, was exposed to be easily stripped of his patrimony during the license of Silla's administrations. He had a great number of distinguished pupils, and was highly esteemed as a preceptor suited to those who had a poetical turn, as appears from these short lines. Cato Grammaticus Latina Siren, qui solus legit ac facit poetas. Cato, the Latin siren, grammar taught and verse, to form the poet skilled and poetry rehearse. Besides his treatise on grammar, he composed some poems, of which his Lydia and Diana are most admired. Tessida mentions his Lydia. Lydia, doctorum maxima cura liber. Lydia, a work to men of learning dear. Sina thus notices the Diana. Secula permaneat nostri Diana Catonis. Immortal be Arcato's song of Diana. He lived to extreme old age, but in the lowest state of penury, and almost in actual want, having retired to a small cottage when he gave up his Tusculan villa to his creditors, as Bibaculus tells us. Si quis forte mei domum catonis, de pictas minio asulas et illos, custodis vidit hortulos priapi, miratur, vibus ille disciplinis, tantam sit sapientiam assecutus, quam tres cauliculi et celebra faris, racemi duo, tegula sub una, ad summam propri nutriant senectam. If perchance any one has seen the house of Mikato, with marble slabs of the richest hues, and his gardens worthy of having Priapus for their guardian, he may well wonder by what philosophy he has gained so much wisdom, that a daily allowance of three cohorts, half a pound of meal, and two bunches of grapes under a narrow roof, should serve for his subsistence to extreme old age. And he says in another place, Catonis modo gale tusculanum, tota creditor urbe venditabat, mirati sumus unicum magistrum, sumum grammaticum, optimum poetam, omnes solvere posse quaestionis, unum difficile expedire nomen, en corzeno doti, en iecur cratetis. We lately saw, my Gallus, Cato's Tusculan villa exposed to public sale by his creditors. 
and wondered at such an unrivaled master of the schools, most eminent grammarian and accomplished poet, could solve all propositions, and yet found one question too difficult for him to settle, how to pay his debts. We find in him the genius of Xenodotus, the wisdom of Crates. Cornelius Epicadius, a freedman of Lysias Cornelius Scylla, the dictator, was his apparitor in the augural priesthood, and much beloved by his son Faustus, so that he was proud to call himself the freedman of both. He completed the last book of Scylla's commentaries, which his patron had left unfinished. Liberius Hiera was bought by his master out of a slave-dealer's cage, and obtained his freedom on account of his devotion to learning. It is reported that his disinterestedness was such that he gave gratuitous instruction to the children of those who were prescribed in the time of Scylla. Curtius Nicia was the intimate friend of Gnaeus Pompeius and Caius Memmius. But, having carried notes from Memmius to Pompey's wife, when she was debauched by Memmius, Pompey was indignant and forbade him his house. He was also on familiar terms with Marcus Cicero, who thus speaks of him in his epistle to Dolabella. I have more need of receiving letters from you than you have of desiring them from me. For there is nothing going on at Rome in which I think you would take any interest, except, perhaps, that you may like to know that I am appointed umpire between our friends Nicias and Vidius. The one, it appears, alleges in two short verses that Nicias owes him money. The other, like an Aristarchus, cavils at them. I, like an old critic, am to decide whether they are Nicias or Spurius. Again, in a letter to Atticus, he says, As to what you write about Nicias, nothing could give me greater pleasure than to have him with me if I was in a position to enjoy his society but my province is to me a place of retirement and solitude. Sica easily reconciled himself to this state of things, and therefore I would prefer having him. Besides, you are well aware of the feebleness and the nice and luxurious habits of our friend Nicias. Why should I be the means of making him uncomfortable when he can afford me no pleasure? At the same time, I value his goodwill. Leneus was a freedman of Pompey the Great, and attended him in most of his expeditions. On the death of his patron and his sons, he supported himself by teaching in a school which he opened near the temple of Tellus in the Carium, in the quarter of the city where the house of the Pompey stood. Such was his regard for his patron's memory that when Sallust described him as having a brazen face and a shameless mind, he lashed the historian in a most bitter satire, as a bull-spizzle, a gormandizer, a braggart, and a tippler, a man whose life and writings were equally monstrous, besides charging him with being a most unskillful plagiarist who borrowed the language of Cato and other old writers. It is related that, in his youth, Having escaped from slavery by the contrivance of some of his friends, he took refuge in his own country, 
and that after he had applied himself to the liberal arts, he brought the price of his freedom to his former master, who, however, struck by his talents and learning, gave him manumission gratuitously. Quintus Sicilius, and a pirate by descent, but born at Tusculum, was a freedman of Atticus Satrius, a Roman knight, to whom Cicero addressed his epistles. He became the tutor of his patron's daughter, who was contracted to Marcus Agrippa, but, being suspected of an illicit intercourse with her, and sent away on that account, he betook himself to Cornelius Gallus, and lived with him on terms of the greatest intimacy, which, indeed, was imputed to Gallus as one of his heaviest offences by Augustus. Then, after the condemnation and death of Gallus, he opened a school, but had few pupils, and those very young, nor any belonging to the higher orders, excepting the children of those he could not refuse to admit. He was the first, it is said, who held disputations in Latin, and who began to lecture on Virgil and the other modern poets, which the verse of Domitius Marsus points out. Epirota tenelorum nutricula vatum. The epirate who, with tender care, are unfledged poets nursed. Various Flaccus, a freedman, distinguished himself by a new mode of teaching, for it was his practice to exercise the wits of his scholars by encouraging emulation among them, not only proposing the subjects on which they were to write, but offering rewards for those who were successful in the contest. These consisted of some ancient, handsome, or rare book. Being in consequence selected by Augustus as preceptor to his grandsons, he transferred his entire school to the Palatium, but with the understanding that he should admit no fresh scholars. The hall in Catiline's house, which had then been added to the palace, was assigned him for his school, with a yearly allowance of one hundred thousand sesterces. He died of old age, in the reign of Tiberius. There is a statue of him in Priniste, in the semicircle at the lower side of the forum, where he had set up calendars arranged by himself and inscribed on slabs of marble. Lucius Cursitius, a native of Tarentum, and in rank a freedman, had the cognomen of Pasidus, which he afterwards changed for Pansa. His first employment was connected with the stage, and his business was to assist the writers of farces. After that, he took to giving lessons in a gallery attached to a house, until his commentary on the Smyrna so brought him into notice that the following lines were written on him. Uni crasitio se credere Smyrna probavit, desinite indocti coniugio hanc petere, soli crasitio se dixit nubere veli, intima cui soli nota sua extiterint. Crassitius only counts on Smyrna's love. Fruitless the wooings of the unlettered prove. Crassitius she receives with loving arms, for he alone unveiled her hidden charms. However, after having taught many scholars, some of whom were of high rank, and amongst others Julius Antonius, the triumvir's son, so that he might even be compared with various Flaccus, he suddenly closed his school, and joined the sect of Quintus Septimius, the philosopher. 
Scribanius Aphrodisius, the slave and disciple of Urbilius, who was afterwards redeemed and presented with his freedom by Scribonia, the daughter of Libo, who had been the wife of Augustus, taught in the time of Varius. His books on orthography he also revised, not without some severe remarks on his pursuits and conduct. Gnaeus Julius Hyginus, a freedman of Augustus, was a native of Spain, although some say he was born at Alexandria, and that when that city was taken, Caesar brought him, then a boy, to Rome. He closely and carefully imitated Cornelius Alexander, a Greek grammarian, who, for his antiquarian knowledge, was called by many polyhistor, and by some history. He had the charge of the Palatine Library, but that did not prevent him from having many scholars, and he was one of the most intimate friends of the poet Ovid, and of Caius Licinius, the historian, a man of consular rank, who was related that Hyginus died very poor, and was supported by his liberality as long as he lived. Julius Modestus, who was a freedman of Hyginus, followed the footsteps of his patron in his studies and learning. Caius Melissus, a native of Spoletum, was freeborn, but having been exposed by his parents in consequence of quarrels between them, he received a good education from his foster father, by whose care and industry he was brought up, and was made a present of to Messenus as a grammarian. Finding himself valued and treated as a friend, he preferred to continue in his state of servitude, although he was claimed by his mother, choosing rather his present condition than that which his real origin entitled him to. In consequence, his freedom was speedily given him, and he even became a favorite with Augustus. By his appointment, he was made curator of the library in the portico of Octavia, and, as he himself informs us, undertook to compose when he was a sexagenarian, his books of witticisms, which are now called the Book of Jests. Of these he accomplished one hundred and fifty, to which he afterwards added several more. He also composed a new kind of story about those who were the toga, and called it Trabeat. Marcus Pomponius Marcellus, a very severe critic of the Latin tongue, who sometimes pleaded causes, in a certain address on the plaintiff's behalf, persisted in charging his adversary with making a solecism, until Cassius Severus appealed to the judges to grant an adjournment, until his client should produce another grammarian, as he was not prepared to enter into a controversy respecting a solecism, instead of defending his client's rights. On another occasion, when he had found fault with some expression in a speech made by Tiberius, Ateus Capito affirmed that if it was not Latin, at least it would be so in time to come. Capito is wrong, cried Marcellus. It is certainly in your power, Caesar, to confer the freedom of the city on whom you please, but you cannot make words for us. Asinius Gallus tells us that he was formerly a pugilist in the following epigram. We caput ad laivam decit glossemata nobis, praecipit, os nullum vel potius pugilis, who ducked his head to shun another's fist, though he expound old sauce, yet, well I wist, with pummeled nose and face, he is but a pugilist. Remius Palaemon of Vicentia, 
the offspring of a bondwoman, acquired the rudiments of learning, first as the companion of a weaver's, and then of his master's son at school. Being afterwards made free, he taught at Rome, where he stood highest in the rank of the grammarians. But he was so infamous for every sort of vice, that Tiberius and his successor Claudius publicly denounced him as an improper person to have the education of boys and young men entrusted to him. Still, his powers of narrative and agreeable style of speaking made him very popular. Besides which, he had the gift of making extempore verses. He also wrote a great many in various and uncommon meters. His insolence was such that he called Marcus Varro a hog, and bragged that letters were born and would perish with him, and that his name was not introduced inadvertently in the bucolics, as Virgil divined that Apollyon would some day be the judge of all poets and poems. He also boasted that having once fallen into the hands of robbers, they spared him, on account of the celebrity his name had acquired. He was so luxurious that he took the bath many times in a day, nor did his means suffice for his extravagance, although his school brought him in forty thousand sesterces yearly and he received not much less from his private estate, which he managed with great care. He also kept a broker's shop for the sale of old clothes, and it is well known that a vine he planted himself yielded three hundred and fifty bottles of wine. But the greatest of all his vices was his unbridled licentiousness in his commerce with women, which he carried to the utmost pitch of foul indecency. They tell a droll story of some one who met him in a crowd, and upon his offering to kiss him could not escape the salute. Master, said he, do you want to mouth everyone you meet within a hurry? Marcus Valerius Prebus of Beritus, after long aspiring to the rank of centurion, being at last tired of waiting, devoted himself to study. He had met with some old authors at a bookseller's shop in the provinces, where the memory of ancient times still lingers, and is not quite forgotten as it is at Rome. Being anxious carefully to reproduce these, and afterwards to make acquaintance with other works of the same kind, he found himself an object of contempt and was laughed at for his lectures, instead of their gaining him fame or profit. Still, however, he persisted in his purpose, and employed himself in correcting, illustrating, and adding notes to many works which he had collected, his labors being confined to the province of a grammarian, and nothing more. He had, properly speaking, no scholars, but some few followers, for he never taught in such a way as to maintain the character of a master, but was in the habit of admitting one or two, perhaps at most three or four, disciples in the afternoon. And while he lay at ease and chatted freely on ordinary topics, he occasionally read some book to them, but that did not often happen. He published a few slight treatises on some subtle questions, besides which he left a large collection of observations on the language of the ancients. End of Lives of the Eminent Grammarians Recording by Lini in Rio de Janeiro, 2008